and welcome to the Life Vineyard Church podcast. In this episode, we hear from Mike as he concludes the Ephesians series, looking at the armor of God. Good morning, everyone. Hello to the live stream. It's just so good to be with you this morning. For those that don't know me, my name's Mike, and I'm on the staff team at Life Vineyard Church. Um, I'm married to the wonderful Jo, who's over at Marley Hill doing her preach this morning. Um, we have been living in the Northeast for a little over two years now. And <laughs> it's amazing. We've just absolutely loved it. We lead the South Shields site plant, and we meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which Adam's which Adam shared that. One of them. <laughs> on Sundays, we mainly serve here at the Allen, and we've just loved getting to know you all. Um, all the cups of coffee, all the uh, walks in the outdoors, all the invites for meals, and, um, you know, it's just really helped settle us in, um, and we call it home now. Amen. And we're just looking forward to how God's going to use us and work together with all of you to see his kingdom come. We're in the last week of Ephesians, and just to recap, we learnt, what we've learned so far is Ephesians is a letter written by Paul, and it's made up of two halves, um, chapters one to three, setting out the beautiful and awesome truths that we, we are in Christ um, that we can rest or sit in a place knowing Jesus as our Savior, the one who's paid the price for all. The second half of, uh, second half of this is um, how we live out of that reality and what difference these truths should make, what it means and doesn't mean for believers to walk in the manner worthy of our calling. And last week, Joe described that dance, that mutual relationship between love and submission. And we as a church, should, uh, that we as a church should have in Christ. Now, I'm biased, but didn't she do so well? <laughs> she completely knocked it out the park. So I'm here to talk about probably one of the most famous verses in Ephesians, and that's chapter 6, verse 10 to 20, the armor of God, where Paul describes the spiritual battle that we are in and the important tools or the armor that we need to use to stand firm as we look to take ground from the enemy or the devil, as we move from strength to strength from that place of Jesus' presence. This section on spiritual warfare is the summing up of the whole letter, showing us that we don't defeat the enemy through our own willpower, but through strength and power of God. It is also the only part of the letter that reminds us that we, are a real, we have a real enemy out there who wants to destroy us and see us fall. Now, Adam, Andy Smith from Belfast Vineyard has had a few mentions already this series. And I'd just like to thank him a lot for um, his help in developing this talk. He said this, If you want to ensure that your households are well, your relationships are well, your families are well, your marriages are well, and that you are living your life in Christ well, then you are going to have to do spiritual warfare. 
And I know for some of you that's a, a really painful experience. And we'll be having ministry time at the end. So if that's you, can I encourage you to get some prayer? Before we get into the verses, it's worth noting the Ephesian context that Paul is writing into. He's writing from Rome, where he's a prisoner, under house arrest. Ephesus was founded out of a Greek Greek pluralist culture. Being the gateway to the east, it it had a great deal of investment and trade, making it a melting pot of different cultures and beliefs. In fact, they worshipped over 50 different gods and goddesses. And by far the most influential of those gods was Artemis or Diana, goddess of the underworld, who also had rule over death. Ephesus was a world centre for magic and the occult, making it a spiritually charged place. Most of the followers that Paul led to Jesus would have been involved in worship of Artemis. And so I hope that gives you a bit of a flavour of what sort of spiritual warfare the Ephesian Christians would have been up, up against. In fact, you learn in Acts 18 and 19 that Paul had to come up against heavy opposition from the silversmiths who made um, a living from selling silver idols and worshipped, and were begin- uh, sorry, who made a living from selling silver idols to be worshipped and were beginning to lose money as a result of all the miracles God was doing through Paul. And although our context is different, Spiritual warfare is going on like this today. We have an enemy who is attacking us personally and universally as the church. Sometimes um, it might not always seem like spiritual warfare, but the letter of Ephesians, as well as other parts of the Bible, teaches us that what is happening in the physical is often being outworked in what is going on in the spiritual Now, I'm going to just pray and um, just ask the Holy Spirit to speak through me, and then I'll launch in. So, Father God, we just thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for this this letter that was written 2,000 years ago. We thank you that it is relevant to us today. And Lord, I just pray that you speak to me, speak through me, Lord. I pray that you speak to every single person in this room's heart, that they will take away one thing, just one thing, and that they will know your love and peace. And just pray this, Father, in your heavenly name. Amen. So verses 10 to 13, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. My first point is, is this, be strong in the Lord. The words be strong 
um, here is used in the passive tense in Greek. It is when something happens to someone or it means to be strengthened or to be assured in the Lord's strength. In other words, we cannot live out chapters 4 and 5 in our own strength or through our own willpower. Rather, we have to seek and be assured in the Lord's strength. There are many places throughout the Old Testament that this phrase comes, and this would not be an unfamiliar language to Paul as a first century Jew. The call to be strong echoes uh, some of Israel's greatest moments. In so many places throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites were told to be strong. This is what God says to the Israelites through Moses in Deuteronomy when they are about to, be, to take the promised land. This is what God says, to, says twice to Solomon, once at the dedication of, to the temple and also when he is dying. Be strong in the Lord. We also are told this many times in the Psalms. One of my favorites is Psalm 31, right at the end. And in the verses that spoke to Joe and I when choosing to move up here, God says to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous, just as they are about to enter the promised land. Early on in the letter, Paul prayed that our eyes would be opened and we would see and realize the power of God within us and we would actually be strengthened by it. This is not something you can do on your own. And we heard in week one, Don described a story of Elisha and the servant in Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6, 17 to 20. And they were surrounded by a physical army wanting to defeat them, and the servant was afraid. But Elisha knew that, the spiritual, that, that in the spiritual, God was at work and asked him to give the servant eyes to see. The, and, and, and the servant saw, saw the, the army of angels who were fighting on their side. And this story reminds us, as does many others, that it's God's job to do the strengthening. It's our job to turn up, be available, and seek his presence. Now, over the last 10 years, it's been my choice to wholeheartedly love Jesus. It's kind of obvious to say when you're up here at at the front of a church, but I don't think I could ever say it enough. I love Jesus. I'm totally in love with him. I can't stop getting excited when I get a chance to talk about him and what he's done for me, what he's done for you, and what he's done for the entire world. It's just unbelievable when you think about what he did and is doing for us. To choose to become a man in order to die for our sins and save us from hell is just incredible. It is so amazing that he loves us that much, that he loves me that much. And what's so humbling is is he would have done it for just one of us. It has taken me a long time to learn this, but Jesus is someone that I can rely on and I know that he will never, never leave me or walk away. And so the least I can do is make myself available for him to use and to speak of his love.
And I'm not the only one who shares this passion. A few weeks ago, we heard and celebrated stories how God is using so many members of this church. He's using them to be his hands and feet and push back the enemy. And, I'm, and we heard about um, the street pastors that look after people at night in Newcastle at Fridays and Saturdays. We heard about 330, uh, three, 332 ex-offenders um, having found jobs through the recruitment junction or how the parish nurses of Wall's End are meeting the health needs of this community. When we're hearing these stories, we, it is clear to me that Jesus is at the heart of it all. And all they do desire to do is be obedient to him. All these strengths as well as mine, all these stories as well as mine, are an outworking and journey of faith which started with a choice to love and follow Jesus and seek him as our strength and encouragement. Now, making this choice doesn't mean that somehow we get the certificate of lifelong protection and suddenly everything is easy. I found it really hard to live out what I believe God has called me to do. There is so much temptation to look back and think, what if, what if? But these verses warn us of that. Now, one of the devil's main tactics is to throw doubt in our minds about who God is, whether he really exists, or who we are as heirs to his throne. And I want to tell you today that there are people here that don't believe that they are heirs to his throne. And we will pray for you today. We will pray for you and remind you of that. In many places throughout the Bible, he is called the deceiver. We see in Genesis chapter 3, the devil deceives Eve into eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Did God actually say, you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice the thread of doubt that he uses to try and manipulate. Did God actually say these things? He pretends to be on our side, luring us into a false sense of security and identity. He also tries to fill us with pride by making us think we are more important than we actually are. You will certainly not die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In the same way, he uses the same tactics with Jesus when he tempts him in the wilderness. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And once we commit the sin, and when we realize it has all gone wrong, we experience shame and guilt, which in turn distances us further from God. And you see this through the Bible over and over again. After Adam and Eve eat the fruit, they hide from God. When Cain kills Abel, he lies to God. 
When David sleeps with Bathsheba, he tries to cover it up, which only makes it worse. And when Judas betrays Jesus, he hangs himself. And so on. Up until 12 years ago, I often found myself questioning and doubting if God actually existed. And if he did, did he care enough to see me and all the things I got up to? So often, it was, it was in those moments that someone or something would come along and take away my attention and my focus and push me towards worldly pleasure. It could be a promotion at work, a new girlfriend, a friend inviting me out for a night out with the lads. These things would often lead to sin and push me further away. I didn't think it was spiritual warfare back then, but with the joy of hindsight, I think it probably was. And I, and I know now that having been through this journey, following his ways, is by far the most rewarding, most satisfying. And over the years, it's grown easier as my relationship and with the Holy Spirit has grown. The truth is, I have allowed him to take control and strengthen me. The results have been so amazing, and there is nowhere I'd rather be. The next thing he tells us to do is to put on God's armor. This is perfect imagery for us to know that we are in a battle for our lives. Knowing that Paul is under a Roman guard, one may think he's got this representation from a soldier who is keeping watch over him. And this may be the case, but he's also drawing on prophecies from Isaiah chapter 11 and 59, where we see the Messiah putting on an armor similar to what is mentioned in these verses and joining the fight. This armor is different to any armor we can create or manufacture ourselves. This is not worldly armor that only fights worldly battles. Unlike Saul's armor that didn't fit David before he went out to fight Goliath, this armor fits perfectly. So in verses 14 to 17, stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which, the, which is the word of God. My second point is this. We need to wear the armor of God. Now, there are three things that I would like to point out about the armor. Firstly, a lot of people say that apart from the sword, they're all defensive weapons. But I'd like to suggest that this is not the case. To me, they all have to be offensive in order to take back the ground stolen by the enemy. Many sportsmen and women describe the best offense as having a great defense. Here, this is no different. A medieval knight's armor would not it would not only protect them, but it also tired out the enemy as they swung their sword against it. 
making it easier to bring down the opposition. In the same way, Roman shields were very large and they, they would block the arrows of the evil one, of the opposing force, I beg your pardon. This would result in a, in, in a depletion of resources and as they began to weaken, the, en- the enemy would become easier target to defeat. Secondly, you have, you, if you look at the armor, it's, it's in itself, it's so simple. It's just so normal. Everyone and anyone can wear it. We can all get to suit up and go out to fight. The armor of God is literally a review of what Paul has been telling the Ephesians throughout the letter. That you increase your chance of taking ground when you believe in the things that he is telling us to do. That we increase our chance of defeating our enemy when we focus on the truth that Paul told us about Jesus' majesty and his unmatched saving power, knowing it, speaking it, and living it out. When we allow the true righteousness of Christ to grow within us, righteousness that he speaks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, when we put on a new self and be created by God, when we overcome the differences that we have with one another through Christ as our peace, when we silence the enemy's accusations of our shame and guilt by holding up the shield of our, of our faith in, one of our fa- in, in, one, in the one whose faithful death provides a place for us in God's presence. Amen? We lean into that salvation that God has made available through Christ. When every time we put up our, open up our Bibles and understand the word of God that has been given to us freely to use as we confront an unbelieving world in love and in peace. Thirdly, we have to put all the armor on and not just some of it. There's no point going into a battle half prepared. We need to be aware of our weaknesses and what we need to do to protect them. One of of the most revealing questions I ask in any interview is, what are your weaknesses? What are your developmental needs and what are you doing about them? It shows me how well the person knows themselves and what actions they are taking to improve. As a world obsessed with skills and strengths, we, we sometimes forget that it's often our weaknesses that bring us down. For Samson, it was his pride. For Achilles, it was his heel. For the Death Star, it was the thermal nucleus, nuclear exhaust point. <laughs> Satan likes to prey on our weaknesses. He likes to prey on your weaknesses. I used to play rugby and my coach always used to tell us that at any kickoff, to run straight up in a line, equally spaced apart. Even if we did it slowly, it made it harder for the opposition to see a weakness in the defensive line and try to break through. What are your weaknesses? What spiritual armor do you think you are missing? 
And what support are you getting? I remember being afraid of what people would think if, if they knew I was a Christian. I often found myself being someone that I wasn't just to please others. And I recall one good Friday afternoon, I was literally on my hands and knees, worshipping outside the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral, London, having spent the whole morning on a church march. Now, I'd arranged um, to meet a friend who was not a Christian to go for a drink afterwards. And the plan was that we would go from St. Paul's. He arrived early and saw me worshipping. A little bit later, on the tube ride to the pub, he, said, he asked me what I was doing. Although it was obvious, I remember being in such denial, wanting to prove that I wasn't one of those Christians. <laughs> so much so that it ended up going on a heavy weekend bender, um, partying, and I actually missed the Easter Sunday service. And once... Once, once the weekend was finished, I found it so hard to forgive myself and even harder to go back to that church. Now, the same rugby coach that I mentioned earlier used, used to have a few favorite sayings, and one of them was, we are as strong as our weakest player, meaning we needed to, we needed, needed to be helping one another and working together as a team to cover our backs. My challenge to you, my challenge to you is who's got your back? Who's holding you up in prayer? And who is holding you to account? We also need to be praying for each other in spiritual warfare. And prayer is the most important weapon we have in the armor of God. In verses 18 to 20, it says... And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. My final point is that we need to be praying all the time. It is our best form of communication with God. It is one of the most important ways that we form our relationship with him. Through how he listens to us, but most importantly, how we listen to him. Even Jesus prayed. In all sorts of ways. He prayed up a mountain. He prayed alone. He prayed in public. And last week we read that he prayed right before his death. Whether it's for breakthrough, protection against illness, or just to say thanks, we need to be praying. Praying shifts the atmosphere. So many times I've seen prayer work. Joe and I try to pray every day before we go to work. In fact, we pray the armor over us. Some days we lie in and have to rush our prayers. And although I don't keep a record, I sometimes get the sense that a positive outcome is determined by the quality of, of the prayers we have had that day. 
And so many times I've found myself on my knees praying about a piece of work that I'm unsure of or a difficult financial situation I might be in. And so many times Jesus has answered my prayers so positively. Again, the amazing thing is it is completely free. Prayer is completely free. Anyone can do it. You don't have to be someone special. You just need to be you. It doesn't need to be long or have complicated words either. The Psalms are a great place to see what prayer can look like. And some of them are just so simple and real. And Paul says, please pray for himself. We need to be praying for each other. And we need to be praying for our leaders. So many powerful things happen when we pray. And that's why every Sunday we pray before the service. We pray before we start the service and as we start the service. Why we pray for the speaker and before they speak. I needed a lot of prayer today to do this talk. So I texted a number of you during the week to make sure that you knew I was preaching. I'm glad you showed up. (laughs) And um, that I was covered by the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you, I want to invite you to come to this prayer meeting tomorrow morning. You can join from anywhere with Wi-Fi. And and it, it was especially a lifeline to Joe and I as we were moving up to join this church. So as we come to land, I will sum up. Spiritual warfare is very real and is something that we need to be prepared for at all times. We need to be doing it through the strength and the power of the Lord and daily be putting on all of our armour, all of his armour, wearing it at all times. And we need to be praying always, in whatever way and whatever season.